0: In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Zeal as king over Aram. And you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, of Ebeth Melah, as a prophet in your place. When we saw Elijah last week, the Lord had just appeared to him in silence with a still small voice. And then God tells him change is coming. Elijah is being sent out to anoint new kings. God was calling a new prophet. Elijah's prayers had been heard. But it wasn't time for retirement yet. When we meet Elisha, he's plowing in the fields. Plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. And here we're learning a little bit about him. Now commentators will tell you having 12 oak, yoke of oxen to plow your fields with indicates some measure of wealth. Right? If you're a farmer, it's the difference between having one of those brand new air conditioned, remote controlled John Deere combines and having an older international harvester that you still have to kick to get it to start in the morning. Rain has just started again after a long drought. And I'm sure he's out in the fields himself trying to get things ready to plant as soon as he can. Doesn't know how long this is going to last. And then the prophet walks by and throws his mantle on him. No preamble, no explanation. Just does it. This is the first time in the Bible we see this idea of the mantle being passed. And we don't get any explanation as to why it's important. We know that the prophet Samuel was wearing a, a, a mantle but Elisha seems to know what's going on. He's been called. Elijah's comment of, go back for what have I done to you, may be his way of saying, listen, I'm not coercing you. I'm not forcing you here. I'm not making you follow me. God has called and I'm just doing what God has told me to do. But Elisha returns home and he doesn't hesitate. He cooks his oxen and uses the plow and all the implements to start the fire just like the disciples leave everything when jesus comes by and says follow me elisha leaves it all and makes sure that he can never go back to it now hold on for a minute a minute to that image of elisha burning his livelihood at his call for a moment it'll come back into play as we read as we study this morning oh lord you are my portion my cup it's up to you to uphold my lot our psalm this morning is seeking god's help and protection like we all do at times David knows who's supporting him and who's protected his life thus far it's the Lord it was the Lord who gave his family the land it was the Lord who has and will continue to protect him even as a young man David always seemed to be in trouble right before Goliath what's David say when he's asked by Saul do you really think you could do this he's like listen I've taken care of bears I've taken care of lions it's not a problem he doesn't need to worship anyone else's altar. His trust is in the Lord. And he knows even after his life on earth is past, you will not abandon me to the grave. David knows where his help is coming from. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus here knows his time on earth is almost over. The transfiguration has almost taken place. He just got done having a conversation with Moses and Elijah that Peter, James, and John were there for. And now he knows it's time. It's time to leave Galilee and go to Jerusalem. So he starts to head there. He knows. He knows what's awaiting him. In a few days, he's going to enter Jerusalem in triumph. And in a few days, he'll also say, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who sent you, how oh, often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, yet you were not willing. And as he's passing through, he gets no welcome in Samaria. Luke here says it's because his face was set towards Jerusalem. Now was he, was he not received because he was focused on something else, and he wasn't teaching and preaching and performing miracles like they'd seen him do before? Was it something else in his posture? We just don't know. But when James and John saw that Jesus wasn't getting his due, they asked for something right out of Elijah's playbook. Someone they saw Jesus speaking with just a few days before. They wanted to set things right with their enemies right then. They asked Jesus, Lord, do you want us? Do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Right? That's what Elijah would do. I just saw you talking to him. Let's do that. Jesus rebukes them, and they go and find another village to stay in. And then he starts talking to those who now are saying they want to follow him, like the man from Gerasene. When he, someone, asks to follow him wherever he goes, Jesus politely declines them. Usually, it's a reminder of something they'll not give up: their riches, or maybe here are the comforts of home. Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head maybe Jesus in this moment is feeling very alone given what he's about to know is about to come it's not because he doesn't love them it's because they're not called we then see Jesus try to call to others he's focused on going to Jerusalem this is his final trip there and he's about to send. next week we're going to read where he sends out the 72 maybe he wanted this man to become one of them Instead, he gets excuses. Some think that the first man here is using a euphemism. Jesus, my father's about to die. I think Jesus knew that they were giving excuses. That unlike Elisha, unlike the disciples, they weren't going to go and take what they had and give it away. That's what Elisha does. He cooks the oxen. He throws a big party for his family and for everyone else in town. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Paul's reminded them that they've been freed from their guardian, their schoolmaster, the law. They're no longer bound to live with the 600-plus laws. Instead, he reminds them of the new commandment that Christ left us. For you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not let your freedom use as an, as an opportunity for self-indulgence. But through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law has been trying to get them there. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said that God's been trying to teach them that. That all the law and the prophet hang on those two commandments. And loving God's the easy part. Right? There are days we get frustrated with God, with days we feel alone. Days when, like Daniel said, our prayers seem to bounce off the heavens like brass. Days where we don't understand what's going on in the world in our own lives, but we know that God loves us. He sent Jesus. He's done work for us in the past. We have a great hope for when we die. We can hopefully hopefully see his love reflected in their brothers and sisters in Christ. Their neighbor can be harder, right? They don't keep their trees trimmed properly. They believe weird things. When we want to be quietly reading a book, they're blasting music. Who knows? Maybe they like the Yankees or that team from Washington, D.C. The reasons can be endless. But God calls us to love them and not to use our Christian freedom as an excuse for self-indulgence. To not let our freedoms as an excuse to not love others. To pile on when our side is winning. To not love them. The love that Paul's talking about and that Christ shows us is not one of just warm and fuzzy feelings. It's one that includes sacrifices. It's one that includes putting others ahead of ourselves. If we don't show love, Paul warns, the church will start to bite and devour each other. Paul's using the same words here he would of wild animals attacking each other, eating their prey. And Paul gives us one of his lists of those things that we're not supposed to be living to, not living in the flesh. And preachers tend to love the beginning and the end of that list, right? It preaches well. Fornication, idolatry, drunkenness, carousing. Those are easy things to tell people to give up. But the middle of that list enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy. These are the things that happen when we don't live in love with each other. Instead, Paul says, Christians that are living in the Spirit should start to show the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul is saying that if we're living in the flesh... We're gonna be caught up in quarrels and dissensions, envies and jealousy, and the other stuff. But if we're living in the spirit, we're guided by love, joy, patience. In this time when our country is full of dissensions, quarrels and factions, live by love. Discuss each issue with compassion. Show kindness. Before you forward that email, or you put that post up on Facebook that you know totally owns the other side, stop for a minute and pray. Know that when you put those up there, the people receiving it, some of them aren't going to receive it the way you meant it. Do yourself a favor. Turn off the news. Pray. Our 24-hour news cycle means that all the channels are promoting all the bad that they see that's going on in the world right now. You only see bad on the other side. Look around the church this morning. Read the names in the directory. There are people in there that are on both sides of these issues that you know and you love. Think about that before you say something that's going to hurt them. And yes, in those moments when you want to yell and scream at someone, that you want to make a snide comment, we're all tempted to do it. We who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So this morning I ask, put aside those thoughts of quarreling. The us versus them. In the end, we know that God's going to win. But we're not called to win right now. God calls us to love. Everyone, at all times, in every situation. Amen.